Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. Monday Night Raw, we will open up with a video of earlier in the night. You will see Jimmy Uso, Solisico, and Paul Heyman entering the arena. Paul will talk to Jimmy and talk about how he failed taking care of Sami Zayn on SmackDown. And he will tell Solo that he is here to take care of the Kevin Owens problem. While Jimmy Uso will take care of the Sami Zayn problem and put Sami to bed once and for all. So that's their marching order. So the first match of the night would be Kevin Owens going against Solo Sokoa. Kevin Owens would win the match by disqualification. With Kevin Owens would hit Solo with a swanton bomb and make the pin. But Jimmy Uso would get in the ring and attack Kevin Owens making the referee call for the bell. Now, after the match, Jimmy and Solo will continue to attack Kevin Owens. They will take Kevin on the commentary table and place him on there. Solo will get on top of the timeskeeper area, and he was looking to hit Kevin Owens with a big splash, but Sami Zayn would run down to the ring and attack Jimmy Uso. Sami would then run over to Solo and attack him. Sami would get a chair and swing it at Solo, but Solo would escape the hit by running into the crowd. Same goes for Jimmy Uso. Now, Kevin Owens would be in the ring, and he'll be on the bottom turnbuckle just looking at Sami Zayn, and Sami would get in the ring and extend his hand out to Kevin Owens. Kevin would look at Sami and not accept his hand, and instead just slide out of the ring and walk towards the back. Now, later in the night, you would see Sami Zayn walk up to Kevin Owens, and Sami again tries to extend his whole hand out to Kevin and tell him that, listen, I understand we don't have to be friends, we don't have to be riding partners, but you cannot take out the bloodline by yourself. Let me help you. Help me help you take out the bloodline because Sammy wants to see the bloodline crumple as well. Kevin Owens tells Sammy, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to work with you. I meant what I said. Just matter of fact, go back to Roman. See if you can just stroke his ego, whatever you can to get back with him. But I do not, I don't want to be around you. So, Sammy would take what Kevin said to heart, and he would leave. Now, after this, we would get Bianca Belair going against Carmella, who had Chelsea Green in her corner. Bianca would win the match by pinfall, but hitting the KOD for the win. Now, after the match, both Chelsea Green and Carmella would attack Bianca until Asuka would make her way down to the ring. Now, Asuka wasn't dressed for action, but she would still get in the ring in regular casual clothes. And once she got in the ring, she would stand face-to-face with Carmella and Chelsea, and spit blue mist in their direction. Carmella would duck, but Chelsea would get the full impact of the blue mist, and this would lead to Carmella helping Chelsea Green leave the ring. Now we would get Asuka and Bianca Belair having a stare down with each other, and again, it's the same stare down that we got last week, and we're going to constantly get that stare down until they finally touch and lock up at WrestleMania. I think they're trying to build it up for that moment, and I'm good with that, to be honest with you. Now, after this, we would get the face-to-face confrontation with Seth Rollins and Logan Paul in the middle of the ring, and the Miz would play moderator for this face-off. The crowd would hem the song of Seth Rollins at the beginning of the segment, and they would control a good portion of this segment. I mean, they wouldn't allow Miz to get a word in. They wouldn't allow Logan Paul to get a word in. The only person they were allowed to get a word in was Seth Rollins. Seth would formally introduce himself to Logan Paul, and now we will finally start getting into business. Logan would ask Seth why he has a problem with him. Is it because he embarrassed Seth twice, once at the Rumble and once at the Chamber? Logan was able to do something in one year that took Seth 20 years to do. 
Seth would retort and say that he and the rest of the WWE look at Logan Paul as the scum of the earth, a troll, a fraud, and someone that's a dumpster fire. Seth would get in position to fight Logan, but Miz would stop Seth and say that he can't allow that to happen. Logan would say that he isn't going to fight Seth here because he doesn't fight for free. He is a premium act and that they could do this somewhere where the stage is bigger. Miz would since then insist that since he is the host of WrestleMania, he could pull some strings and get a match between the two of them. So Seth would ask the Miz, what is he waiting for? And just throw Miz right out of the ring so he can get that job done. And Seth would go right after Logan Paul and shoulder tackle Logan right into the corner. Now Seth would attack Logan until Miz would get in the ring, grab Seth and separate him. Seth would push Miz off of him and then super kick him. Now once Seth turns his back towards Logan and try to get back at Logan, Logan would hit Seth Rollins with the punch and knock Seth Rollins out. And Logan Paul would get a mic and say, well, looks like whenever you wake up, I'll wait for your answer for that challenge at WrestleMania. And later in the night, it will be confirmed at WrestleMania, we will begin Seth Rollins going against Logan Paul at WrestleMania. Now, after this, we will have Omos with MVP going against Dolph Ziggler. Omos would win the match by pinfall by hitting a double-handed chokeslam for the win in quick fashion. After this, we have Finn Balor with the Judgment Day in his corner, going against Johnny Gargano, who had Dexter Loomis in his corner. Johnny Gargano would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Edge. When Finn Balor was looking to hit the coup de grace on Johnny Gargano, Edge's music would hit, and Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest would walk up the ramp to try to stop Edge from coming into the ring. However, Edge didn't appear from the stage. He would appear from the crowd and push Finn off the top turnbuckle onto the top ropes. Johnny would then hit Finn Balor with final beat to win the match. Now after the match, Edge would get in the ring and hit Finn Balor with a spear. Now later on backstage, Edge would get interviewed and he says that he is pulling Finn's punk card. Next week, Edge will be in the middle of the ring by himself and he wonders if Finn will have the stones to show up by himself. So we're going to finally get our one-on-one confrontation between Edge and Finn Balor next week. And more than likely, we're probably going to get them making their match official at WrestleMania Edge versus Finn Balor. Now, after this, we had Nikki Cross going against Piper Nevin. Piper would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Black Hole Slam or better known as the Boss Man Slam for the win here. Now, after this, we would get John Cena coming down to the ring. And he would get a big ovation from the Boston crowd because they're in Boston. John Cena's from Boston, hometown kid, hometown hero. John Cena, as soon as he entered the stage, he cups his mouth. And you can tell that John Cena wanted to cry. And that tells you this is still his first love. Wrestling is still his first love, and he still loves that business. Just want to get that out of the way there. Anyway, John Cena gets to the ring, he gets a mic, and he's still feeling the ovation from the crowd. And before he can get a word out, Austin Theory would walk down to the ring. Austin Theory would give respect to John Cena, saying that John is the reason he got into wrestling. Theory would tell John that he has a gift for him, and that gift is a match at WrestleMania for the United States Championship. John Cena would tell Theory no. Cena would say that he says no because essentially, Austin Theory is Cena 2.0 from Ruthless Aggression Era. Plain, white meat, nobody cares about him. Cena would give criticism to Theory, saying that Theory is just playing a part and he doesn't believe it. 
that makes the people not believe him, which in turn makes no one care about him, just like Cena when he first started out, and that almost got Cena fired. Theory wouldn't take kindly to Cena's words and try to play reverse psychiatry on John Cena to accept his United States Championship opportunity, saying to Cena that he is turning his back on the people, the people that supposedly John Cena loves. Where is the hustle? Where is the loyalty? Where is the respect? And Cena would ask the people, do they want to see Cena versus Theory? They would say yes, and Theory would say too bad. Cena said no, so it doesn't matter. Cena again would get at Theory and explain how stupid this match would be for Theory if Cena accepts it. You really are a dumb son of a bitch. I didn't say no because I gave up. I said no to save your ass. You're not ready. Dude, you're, you're really putting my back against the wall, but you don't understand. If you and I have a match at WrestleMania and I win, you lose everything. You're done. You're done. And if we have a match at WrestleMania and you win, you lose everything. Oh, oh no, sure, sure. You may win the day. But then you got to go out the Monday after all by yourself and explain. You won't have me to lean on, no. It'll just be you, big man, against the most harsh, vocal, ruthless, critical audience in the WWE, and they will eat you alive because they see what I see and they see what they see. You are full of crap. But you really left me no choice because you brought them into it. And now I gotta ask them to see what we're gonna do. Boston, you'll have to pardon my senioritis. It's not just the hair, my hearing's going as well. Do you wanna see Austin Theory of John Cena at WrestleMania? Remember this moment. You just made the biggest mistake of your life. At WrestleMania for the United States Championship, it's gonna be Austin Theory versus John Cena! Now with that being made official, we are now getting John Cena versus Theory at WrestleMania for the United States Championship, which we all knew that was gonna happen. It was kind of being boiled over and kind of like being mentioned in the air for the past couple months. So now it's been made official here. And I will say yet again, Cena and Edge and all those guys from the 2000s where they had to really step up and become the main event guys, they are a different breed of people when it comes to being on the mic. Seriously, the Cena's, the Edge, uh, the CM Punk's, the Batista, um, even, you know what, Randy Orton. I mean, those guys... They had to really step their game up to become the main eventer. I know Cena was like, not Cena, but Punk was like the last of the Mohegans of those guys that I just mentioned. But when you look at middle of 2000, I'll say from 2004 through 2013, those were the guys carrying things. And if you look at the time now that we're in, you still see Edge. He came back in, what, 2020, and whenever the fans came really coming back in droves in 2021, he was still a big hit to the population of WWE. John Cena, when he came back in 2021, he got that big, massive pop. That tells you how much people care. When Randy Orton comes back, or if he ever does come back, he's going to get a big ovation. CM Punk, he came back literally in 2021. And he got a big standing ovation pop from a crowd that has been waiting for him to come back for 
eight or seven long years. So that tells you the star power that these guys have and the way that they can just bring you in. Cena was cutting theory up in this segment. I couldn't put everything in there. I only put like the last, what, two minutes of their situation that they had with each other in here. But I want you to go back on Monday Night Raw to see how Cena cut Theory up. I mean, he laced him up to the point that even Theory tried to hit him with a reverse card, and Cena was able to still out Trump Theory in the talking points. So, again, those guys are really needed in this time in wrestling, whether you're an AEW, WWE, Impact, it doesn't matter. Those guys are needed right now. Now, with the nerdiness out of here, um, after that situation, we would get Chad Gable with Otis in his corner going against Baron Corbin. Chad Gable would win that match by submission by making Corbin tap out to the ankle lock. After this, we will have Becky Lynch and Lita come down to the ring, and they will peacock about becoming the new women's tag team champions. They will bring out Trish Stratus and thank her for being the equalizer in their tag match last week. This will lead to damage control coming down to the ring, and they are upset at the last week's actions. Bailey will call Lita and Trish selfish for coming back when they feel it's convenient for them. Trish would stop Bailey and challenge her and her group to a six-woman tag match at WrestleMania. Bailey would accept for her group, so we now have that match made official. Damage Control would try to attack Becky, Lita, and Trish first, but Lita, Trish, and Becky will be prepared for this and stop them, and they will attack them first and send Damage Control packing. Now, off to the main event. Jamie Uso with Solo Sokoa in his corner going against Sami Zayn. Sami would win the match by pinfall. When Jay Uso will come down from the crowd, Jay Uso will come down from the crowd. He'll hop the barricade. He'll get on the commentator's table and he will just hype up his brother to get up. Jimmy Uso will see Jay. He has a smile on his face because he knows that his brother's always going to be there for him. And Sammy will look to hit Jimmy with a halluva kick, but Jimmy will move out of the way and he will look to hit Sammy with a small drop. But Sammy would reverse out of it and get Jimmy in a roll up and pin him 1-2-3 style, and that's how Sami Zayn wins the match here. Now, after the match, you will see Sami leave the ring, and he's just standing at the ramp, and he looks at Jimmy and Jay as they have a stare down with each other in the middle of the ring. Jay, he would just look at Jimmy, and he would put his arm on the chest of Jimmy and just hold his shirt. Now, in that moment, I thought Jay was going to rip Jimmy's shirt, to like show his allegiance to uh, Sammy, but he doesn't do this. He would instead just look at Jimmy and just walk past him and leave the ring. You would see Jay walk up to Sammy. He will look at Sammy, then look back at Jimmy, and he would mouth to Sammy, I trust you. I believe in you. And he will hug Sammy. And now Sammy's embracing with Jay and they're hugging each other. And Jay throws the one up in the air as Jimmy's looking in the middle of the ring. He's now kneeling down because he knows that he got to deal with Roman now because Roman told him that, yo, you got to make it right. You got to make Jay join back with the family. So as this is all going down, Sammy's excited because now he got Jay on his side and he tells Jimmy, it's not too late for you. Join us. And Sammy throws the one up in the air as well. You would then see Jay Uso super kick Sammy. And he would get all up in Sammy's face and say, this is all about family. You thought I was going to side with you? 
No. And then he just grabs Sammy, throw him in the ring, and you start seeing Jay and Jimmy beat up on Sami Zayn. Solo would get in there, and he would beat up on Sammy as well. Now it's a three-brother affair beatdown on Sammy until Cody Rose music would hit, and he would run down to the ring. This is where the Usos and Solo would back up off of Sammy. And once Cody got in the ring, you would see Cody stare down with the Usos and Solo. And that's how Raw would end. So that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to NXT, where this is the Roadblock Edition. And on this edition of NXT, we would find out that next week on a regular standard NXT, Wesley will have his open invitation for the North American Championship. And Axiom did make it known that he wants to challenge for that championship. But Wes tells him, if you make it to the ring first, hey, we'll have our match. So we'll have to wait and see if Axiom will get to have that match with Wesley next week. And also, they would show Dragon Lee. He would be sitting in the audience during the duration of this uh, show. And it was a nice callback to whenever NXT was 2014, 2015, onward until like they stopped in like 2019 where they would sign these hot independent talent to a WWE contract, and you know off top they're going to NXT. So when you saw them in the audience member on a TakeOver event, you knew, okay, so they're going to be coming soon to NXT. So it was a nice little callback for that. So that's letting people know that Dragon Lee will be making his uh, debut at NXT rarely soon. And for the people that are not aware of who Dragon Lee is, that is the brother of AEW wrestler Roosh. Uh, Dragon Lee is a former IWGP junior heavyweight champion. If you don't know of his work, I will suggest you go to YouTube and uh, just research Dragon Lee. I'm pretty sure you will find his matches real interesting. Now, off to NXT, the first matchup would be the Jailhouse Street Fight with Dijak going against Tony D'Angelo with Stax in his corner. Tony D'Angelo would win the match by putting Dijak in the jail cell and latching it shut. This was an excellent way to open the show. Uh, you would see Stax, he would pay dividends to Tony in this match multiple times. Once when Dijak would be in the cell and Tony is about to shut the door, Dijak would grab Stax and have him in the Cobra Clutch. And this will put Tony in an awkward situation, whether he wants to win this match or does he want to save Stax. Another one was where Stax would take a cyclone kick to the face by Dijak. And you will see again Stax... Again, saving Tony when Tony's now inside the cell and Dijak's about to shut the door on him. Stax would dive in the middle of the door being shut and the door would hit uh, Stax's ribs. And this would allow Tony, who has the crowbar in his hand, to hit Dijak with that crowbar over and over multiple times. To the point that Dijak would be inside the cell and Tony would just crack him in the head with that crowbar again to finally shut this door and latch it shut. This was an excellent way. You saw them use tables in this. Uh, Dijak put um, Tony on the table and then hit a springboard elbow drop onto Tony, smashing the table. They mainly fought outside of the ring. So it was a nice little brawl style match that we had here to open up NXT. And I would suggest, if you haven't seen it, I would suggest you go watch it. Now, after this, we had the NXT Tag Champions Gallus coming down to the ring and they would call out Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly would appear on the NXT perch, and Gallus would ask them why aren't they in the ring with them. You would then get Pretty Deadly mocking Gallus for being from Scotland, as Pretty Deadly is from England. And again, this is their whole little European country going back and forth with one another bit here. But then we would get the brass tags. Gallus would ask Pretty Deadly what is it going to take for them to get in the ring with them. Pretty Deadly would say that they want the tag team championships, so Gallus would lay the tag team titles on the mat and say, come get it. Pretty Deadly would get off the perch and walk towards the ring. Gallus would beat up Pretty Deadly 
ultimately make a Pretty Deadly retreat, and we would get a match set up for next week where Pretty Deadly will be going against Gallus for the NXT Tag Team Championships. Now, after this, we will have a six-man tag match of the Creed Brothers and the NXT Champion, Braun Breaker, going against Indusheer and Jinder Mahal. The Creed Brothers and Braun Breaker would win the match by pinfall when Julius would have Veer on his shoulders, and Brutus would hit a cannonball onto Veer and then cover him for the win. This was a fun six-man tag match up here. If anything, this shows in the future that whenever the Creed Brothers and Braun Breaker are on the main event of WWE, I mean, like, on the main roster, I would like to see them be allies more. And at one point, I wouldn't mind if, just just to say if, we get the Creed Brothers and Braun just literally form a unit because in this match, they worked really well. At one point, you saw them... Uh, hit a triple team move, you saw Brutus hit a front forward uh, senton, you would see him tag in Braun Breaker, who would hop in and do a moonsault on the second turnbuckle, and then you would see Julius come off the top rope with a 450 splash, I mean, these three guys really work together in synchronizing fashion, and just to see Braun actually team with the Crees and see that chemistry that they have, you can see them literally being a stable whenever they get to the main roster, that's only if they keep all three of these guys around for that time. Now, after this, we get the Grayson Waller effect with Shawn Michaels as his guest. Grayson Waller would start by talking about how he, as a kid, he was a fan of Shawn Michaels, but now it really is true. Never meet your heroes because he talks about how Shawn has held him down. He has basically pulled the reins on Grayson Waller. Sean will have to tell him that I never pulled the reins on you. As a matter of fact, I cut the reins off of you and I let you just go out and do what you got to do. Sean will say that they had a good rapport at one point, but now they don't. And ask Grayson, why is that? Grayson will say that this remodeled version of NXT, the black and gold brand, was supposed to be centered around him. Grayson mentioned how his Twitter game is elite and social media is a part of the reason why you got to make yourself a big star. So for him to mention that, that's a fair point. And he would say that he doesn't care who he has to piss off because he's not like the other fans in the back. Sean will tell Grayson that that's the problem. Grayson puts himself over the NXT brand. He thinks he's bigger than the brand, and that's the problem. It takes a whole lot of people to make NXT what it is, and Sean will start to list off people from the past of NXT that make NXT what it is. He would list off Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Undisputed Era, which I'm shocked he mentioned them, uh... Finn Balor, EO Sky, Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, and he would mention the current champions, Braun Breaker and Roxanne Perez. And he would even say, even you, Grayson Waller, you are what helped make NXT what it is right now. Grayson will tell Sean that he is tired of NXT because he feels like he is spinning his wheel and he doesn't feel like he's ever going to make it to the main roster. He's never going to make it to the top tier. And he's tired of seeing the same people in the audience every single week. He doesn't like the people in the back. He feels that management sucks. And this will make Shawn Michaels get upset. And he would tell Grayson to watch what he says about NXT. Grayson would tell Shawn that if that makes him upset, why don't we fight him at Stand and Deliver? Shawn would tell Grayson that there have been people for a decade trying to get him to come out of retirement and have dream matches with them. But Shawn doesn't take the bait, even though he wants to. He does tell Grayson Waller, however, he will have a match at Stand and Deliver. But it will be against someone that wants to get their hands on Grayson Waller more than Sean does. Someone that bleeds NXT more than Sean. And he would introduce that man, and it's Johnny Gargano. For the people that don't remember, Johnny Gargano, whenever he 
was leaving WWE at the end of 2021, his final appearance on NXT, he would basically get cracked in the back by Grayson Waller with a steel chair. And that was Johnny Gargano's send-off to make Grayson Waller be a bigger bad guy in NXT. So now this is their uh, situation of them running it back with Grayson Waller and Johnny Gargano. So I'm glad to see them doing this. And it will be confirmed that Johnny Gargano will be going against Grayson Waller at Stand and Deliver. Now, after this, we get the matchup of J.C. Jane going against Gigi Dolan. Gigi would win the match by pinfall by hitting a crucifix driver on J.C. for the win. Now, after the match, as Gigi was celebrating her win, J.C. would attack her from behind, beat up on J.C. before kicking her in the face. Then J.C. would go out of the ring and grab a steel chair. Once she gets back in the ring, she would place the chair around the neck of Gigi and then go to the second turnbuckle. But before she could jump off of it, the referees will come down to the ring and make sure JC doesn't do it and basically escort her out of the ring. So you could tell where they're going with this. We're going to get a JC Jane versus Gigi Dolan rematch at Stand and Deliver. More than likely with some type of match stipulation on it. This match, it was okay. It wasn't like what we hoped it to be, like this big uh, blood feud situation since... Uh, Gigi got kicked in the face by JC and Gigi was left with like a big bruise on her face but you could tell where they're going with this and again probably by next week's episode of NXT they're probably going to run it back and we're going to know what the match stipulation is going to be at stand and deliver now after this the NXT champion Braun Breaker would come down to the ring and he would say that since all the roadblocks are out of the way it's finally time to get the people what they want and to give him what he wants, and it's a match, the biggest match NXT can make, and it's for him to go against Carmelo Hayes at Stand and Deliver. Braun will call Melo out, Melo will come out, and Melo will basically repeat what Braun said, that they're both the biggest stars in NXT, and that it's time for them to finally uh, do battle with each other at Stand and Deliver. And this is a real respectful promo battle between Melo and Braun Breaker. There was no disrespect here. This was nothing but them just basically having the utmost respect for each other. And they will shake hands at the end of it. And it will be announced that Braun Breaker will go against Carmelo Hayes at Stand and Deliver for the NXT Championship. And we all knew they were going to do this. However, in this respectful battle of words between Braun Breaker and Carmelo, there was no Trick Williams here. Trick Williams was not around Melo. Now, I would like to see how Trick Williams is going to act with Melo next week because Trick Williams is usually the guy that kind of puts the battery in Carmelo's back and has him, like, really talk his talk and be uh, real boisterous and ego, not maniacal, but have that ego in him to really, like, talk his talk. But since Trick wasn't here, this was nothing but a respectful Carmelo talking to Braun Breaker. So it's going to be real interesting to see how next week with Trick Williams possibly being right beside Melo and seeing if Melo's going to talk his talk with Ego that he didn't do this week with Braun Breaker. So it's going to be interesting next week. Now after this, we have Andre Chase with Duke Hudson and Thea Hale in his corner going against Joe Gacy who has a schism in his corner. Joe Gacy would win the match by pinfall thanks to Andre Chase paying attention to Thea Hale yelling at Ava Rain outside of the ring letting her know that she isn't afraid of her and this is all due to the process because Thea Hale has been constantly being terrified by schism since they uh, basically abducted her and she has basically had nightmares of schism so now with her conquering her fear Andre is happy to see her his pupil doing this but 
this would leave Andre open to get hit with a handspring uh, clothesline from Joe Gacy for the win. Now, after this, we go backstage. Andre Chase, Thea Hill, and Duke Hudson are walking backstage. Thea Hill is apologizing to Andre for his loss. Andre saying, it's cool, it's fine. Hey, you conquered your fears. That's what's important. I'm proud of you. Duke Hudson's upset at this. He says, what are we doing? Duke would then start to go in on Andre Chase for basically pacifying losers. He would call Chase University losers. And Duke Hudson would just start walking away. So you could start seeing Duke Hudson getting more and more agitated with losing. And he's not really that fond of losing, which nobody truly is. But we'll have to wait and see how this uh, concludes with Andre Chase and Duke Hudson. Probably next week on NXT. Now off to the main event for the NXT Women's Championship. It'll be Roxanne Perez, the champion, going against the challenger. Maiko Satomura. Roxanne would win the match by pinfall by reversing the Scorpio Rising and hooking Maiko in a roll-up for the win. This was a real good match for Roxanne Perez. This was a real good match to let people know if they haven't ever seen Maiko Satomura, who Maiko Satomura is, because Maiko Satomura was tearing up Roxanne. Like, I'll give it about a good 60% of this match up here. Roxanne had that good 40. She would get a couple licks off on Maiko, but we all knew who the veteran was here, and this is what that story of the match was. A veteran going against... Uh, not going to say a rookie, but a protege, someone that is still learning as the days go by. And Roxanne was able to keep up with the veteran, but the veteran was still able to pull out some uh, moves and strong-hitting attacks on said prodigy. But in the end, it was a simple roll-up that took down the vet. So Roxanne Perez is still your NXT Women's Champion. Now, after the match, Maiko would grab the NXT Women's Championship and hand it off to Roxanne, and she would lift up Roxanne's hand in victory. Roxanne would stand up for a minute. You see that she looks fine and good, but then she would just drop to the mat. And now you start seeing Maiko looking at Roxanne, asking her if she's okay. The referee would start going over to Roxanne, seeing if she's okay, and mad multiple referees start running down to the ring and checking on Roxanne. She thinks she's good. She she's breathing. Medics would run down to the ring. They will get a stretcher out. They'll put her on the stretcher. Booker T, who will leave commentary and walk over to Roxanne to see if she's good. Uh, Shawn Michaels will come down. He'll make sure seeing Roxanne's good. And they will basically stretcher Roxanne out of the ring into the ambulance. And that's how NXT will end. Now, here's my idea of what I think might happen next week on NXT. I think with NXT ending like this, I think they're probably going to have Roxanne or probably even Booker T come out there and explain what happened to Roxanne since Booker is uh, Roxanne's mentor. He would probably, I will probably have Booker T go out there and explain what happened to Roxanne, say that he talked to her and all that type of stuff to make sure she's fine, and just to let the fans know that Roxanne's good. And we'll let Roxanne basically take a week off of NXT just to allow her to constantly breathe and recuperate her body. And while she's gone off that week of NXT, we could probably allow her next challenger, probably Tiffany Stratton, just run down uh, Roxanne, and at one point, you could probably even see mm, Booker being on commentary saying that's not right, but this is building up for Roxanne and uh, Tiffany to have their match on Stand and Deliver. That's the way I think it should go down, but we'll have to wait and see on next week's episode of NXT. But with that all being said, that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Dynamite. This is their first episode after their AEW Revolution pay-per-view that happened this Sunday. And 
The first thing to note is that Tuesday night, Warlow would tweet out that his car did get uh, breaking into and his gear and the TNT Championship would be stolen. So they still will have the TNT Championship matchup of Warlow and Powerhouse Hob on the Dynamite episode, but they will have the switching from a regular match to a false count anywhere matchup because, again, Warlow doesn't have gear, so that's how they... Uh, remix the matchup here, but I'll get more to that in a minute. But to open up Dynamite, we'll have our All Atlantic Championship matchup of Orange Cassidy going against Jay Lethal. Orange Cassidy would win the match by pinfall by hitting an orange punch on Jay after Jay fumbled, uh, rebounding off the ropes, going for the lethal injection, and that's how Orange Cassidy would win the match. Now, after the match, as Cassidy was in the ring celebrating his win. Jay would go and grab the Golden Globe Award and try to attack Arch Cassidy with it, but the referee would stop him and walk him up the ramp. Now, all this was a distraction, so Jeff Jarrett could come in behind Arch Cassidy and hit him with the stroke, and Jeff Jarrett would then hit Arch Cassidy's knee with the guitar. Now, Arch Cassidy's knee was bothering him throughout the whole matchup, so that's the reason why Jeff Jarrett targeted Arch Cassidy's knee when he hit him with the guitar shot. And later in the night, Tony Khan would announce that next week, Orange Cassidy will go against Jeff Jarrett for the All-Atlantic Championship, but they're repackaging it, and next week it'll be going by a different name. It'll be called the International Championship. So, we have that match set up for next week. Now, after this, we have Ricky Starks coming down to the ring. Ricky would peacock about winning his match at Revolution against Chris Jericho, and Ricky would be out here to talk about what's next for him, since now he's done with Jericho. Ricky would say that he doesn't know what's next for him, but he does know where he is going. But before he could say another word, you would hear Bullet Club, like the name, ring off in the arena. And this will have the crowd shock, and Ricky will look towards the entrance ramp, but nobody would come out there. Deuce Robinson would appear behind Ricky Starks and turn him around and hit him with the left hand of God, which is basically a knockout punch. And then hit Ricky with an implant DDT. So we're setting up Juice Robinson to go against Ricky Starks, and I think this is Juice Robinson's like first official rivalry on AEW television here. So I think personally this would be the perfect time for Ricky Starks to go against somebody like a Juice Robinson, somebody that probably might need the star power to rub off on him because, again, I don't know how many people know of Juice Robinson because he's been off of TV for some time. So it's probably going to be a nice little refresher course for everybody to remember who Juice Robinson is. And it's also going to give AEW management some time to really think about what they want to do with Ricky Starks as he's now doing with uh, Juice Robinson now. Now, after this, we have Ruby Soho come down to the ring for an interview to explain why she joined Soraya and Tony Storm. Ruby would blame the fans for this. She would... Recall them cheering for Britt Baker when Ruby lost to Britt in a championship matchup. They would boo Ruby when she beat Chris Statlander in an Owen Hart semifinals match. And again, they would cheer Jamie Hayter whenever she won at Revolution. So all that frustrated Ruby Soho here. So that's the reason why Ruby decided to join uh, Tony and Soraya. And Ruby would point out that the same thing happened when Tony Storm and Soraya came to AEW. At first, there was no fanfare, and then the people started turning on both of those ladies. They were treated as outcasts, so that's the reason why all three of those ladies are now together. Ruby feels that the women in the back are inexperienced and spoiled brats, so Ruby will call for an opponent to come out so they can have their match, and it's sky blue. 
So Ruby and Sky would have their match. Ruby would win the match by pinfall by hitting Destination Unknown. Now after the match, Tony Storm and Soraya would come down to the ring with the spray paint, looking to spray uh, Sky Blue. But Willow Nightingale would run down to the ring to stop them from doing that. Willow would try to talk some sense into Ruby since they have some history. Ruby was like a friend to Willow. Willow was like a friend to Ruby. They actually teamed up a couple times in the past in AEW. So Willow's out here to try to talk to her friend. But Willow would be attacked by Tony and Soraya from behind. And Ruby would join in hitting no future on Willow. You would then see Soraya and Tony Storm spray paint both Willow and Sky Blue. And that's the end of this segment here. And to be honest with you, when I think about Tony and Soraya's whole attitude for turning their backs on the people and Ruby Soho basically more explaining why, their actions make sense. Soraya, she came in as a fanfare because, well, people wanted to see Soraya back because they felt that her career got cut extremely short, which it did at the time. And she came back against a beloved figure like Britt Baker so that was probably like the wrong person for Soraya to go against for AEW management to want Soraya to be cheered the same thing did happen to Tony Storm when she came into AEW she came in she got the fanfare she was part of the Owen Hart tournament but then she lost and then she got her match to happen with Thunder Rosa people thought she was gonna win that matchup didn't happen. It was still cool, but then you start seeing the fanfare starting to die down for her, and then that fanfare that was supposed to go to Tony, it went over to Jamie Hayter. So Tony, she turned her back on the people for not caring about her then, and now we got Ruby Soho, who has always been beloved by the people, but for those few instances, but you started to see exactly why she turned on the people. And to be honest with you, Ruby Soho, out of all three ladies, her reason was actually the best for it because that type of stuff, it keeps in your head whenever you see the same pattern happen over and over again. So it was pretty good. I'm glad that uh, Tony and Soraya has Ruby as a third person. At first, I thought it was supposed to be Chris Statlander, but I'm glad it was uh, Ruby Soho because her reasonings actually make sense. Now, after this, FTR will come down to the ring to be interviewed. FTR will talk about how uh, great their 2022 was, but they haven't had a great 2023 so far because they lost to the Acclaim, they lost to the Guns, they lost three sets of tag team championships, and losing a friend in wrestling, and they are talking about Jay Briscoe here. So they had to take some time apart from AEW to just recharge themselves, but they couldn't in great conscience sit home and hear the Guns call themselves the best tag team in the world, so they want to take something important away from the guns like the guns did to them and they're talking about their final moment in the ring that they have with the briscoes so with this ftr want to become aew tag team champions again so that's the movement and the momentum that we're seeing from ftr and i can't wait to see ftr going against the guns i hope they actually prolong it just a little bit longer because again i see ftr and the guns having a nice matchup here and Again, FTR is going to play the veteran roles of trying to lead them down a good match. But I just want them to have it whenever that match is meaningful. FTR is back. Everybody's excited to see them. Do not get them in the match or in a ring with the guns yet. Let's uh, kind of build upon that and actually have a stipulation type match to it. 
Now, after this, we have a six-man, or better known as trios, matchup here, where the Jericho Appreciation Society's Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Daniel Garcia will come down to the ring with the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society, going against Top Flight and AR Fox. Jericho would win the match for his team by pinfall with help from Jake Hager, when Jericho would distract the referee and allow Jake Hager to hit Darius Martin in the back with the baseball bat. Then Chris Jericho would hit Darius with the Judas Effect for the win. Now after the match, Jericho Appreciation Society would get a mic and talk about how it's been exactly one year since they have been a group. And you will see Jericho stake a claim to be next in line for the trio's championships. They will call out the House of Black, but instead of House of Black coming out, the Elite would come out. The Elite will say they are the true number one contenders for the trio's championships. Then the lights will go out and House of Black would appear on the screen and say that each team are worthy of getting embarrassed in their country because uh, Dynamite is going to be in Canada next week. So next week, it has been announced it will be a triple threat trios championship matchup of Jericho Appreciation Society going against the Elite, going against the champions House of Black. I feel that match is going to be absolutely fire and I can't wait to see it. Now, after this, we have John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli with Willie Uta in their corner going against Dark Order's John Silver and Alex Reynolds. Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli would win the match by submission when Mox would apply a gator hole uh, style submission on Alex Reynolds and Reynolds would have to tap out. Now, after the match, John Moxley would apply the bulldog choke on Reynolds and Claudio would keep the ref away from Moxley. John Silver would try to make the save, but Claudio would toss Silver out of the ring. So then this would have Evil Uno coming down to the ring, and he would start punching uh, Moxley, trying to get at Claudio. And again, he would try his best, but he too would get attacked and demolished. Then you would see Hangman Page coming down to the ring, and he goes down there to check on the Dark Order. Moxley is standing there waiting for Hangman to try to punch him because Moxley isn't done with Hangman. Hangman wouldn't pay Moxley any attention. He would just walk past him and just check on Dark Order. Then you would see Claudio tap Hangman on the shoulder, and Hangman would punch Claudio. This would upset Claudio and make Claudio hit Hangman with a running uppercut. And then you see all three members of the Blackpool Combat Club, Yuta, Mox, and Claudio just beating up on Hangman Page. Referees and other officials would come down to the ring to separate all three men off of Hangman. And then you see Blackpool Combat Club just leave the ring and walk through the crowd. So this whole thing between Dark Order, Hangman, and Blackpool Combat Club is not done yet. And I don't expect it to because technically both guys are now up 2-2 with one another. So there has to be one more official rubber match to actually end it all. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but we'll have to wait and see for that. Now off to the main event, Falls Count Anywhere match. For the TNT Championship, Powerhouse Hobbs going against Wardlow. Hobbs would win the match, becoming the new TNT Champion when Wardlow couldn't get to his feet by the 10 count. And what I mean by that is that the way to win this match is could be by pinfall submission or by straight up just 10 count. You gotta get to your feet. Now, the way that this match was technically won by Powerhouse Hobbs, it has me trippy to be honest with you. Because Powerhouse Hobbs, he would be getting... Not dominated, but him and Warlow will start off in the back and then they work their way uh, into the crowd and all that type of stuff. They'll have their match in the ring and 
towards the end, you start seeing Warlow like beat up on Hobbs. You see Warlow hit Hobbs with a power bomb on the like end of the ramp, and then he starts walking Hobbs up to the stage, and he looks to power bomb him off the stage. But then you see out of nowhere, QT Marshall would appear, and he would hit Warlow in the back with the steel chair. So this would make Warlow turn around and look at QT, grab QT by the throat, and you see QT kick Warlow in the nuts, and then he would hit Warlow in the throat with the chair. Now, this is why I like AEW commentary. Their commentary team would try to make the people understand why QT Marshall is out here helping Hobbs. It's because when Hobbs was feuding with uh, Ricky Starks, like in the fall, you would see QT Marshall having beef with Ricky Starks, and apparently Hobbs and QT, they made a deal. And I forgot about that deal that they made. And this is basically QT Marshall coming out here to uh, tell Hobbs that he's a man of his word and he keeps his deal. So this is basically QT helping Powerhouse Hobbs out in his situation. So you see uh, QT walk over to Hobbs, get him up, and you will see them both uh, powerbomb Warlow off the stage onto a table. So the ref would start counting. Warlow couldn't get to his feet by 10, making Will Hobbs your new TNT champion. So Hobbs is now your TNT champion. I'm cool with that. I just was confused on QT coming out. But then when I heard the commentary mention it, I was like, oh, okay, I forgot about it. But then it starts replaying back in my head like, oh, yeah, I do remember that. So again, this is whenever I got to really let people know that AEW is literally all about you keeping in line with their uh, storylines and their attention to details because you might forget something that they planted months ago like this with QT and Hobbs and they will re-bring it back months later off of a small little detail with a feud that was between Hobbs and Ricky Starks but they brought it back and it made sense so AEW is a brand that you really actually have to pay attention to every small minute detail that goes into a storyline so i'm not mad that they did that it was just real confusing to me but the end results is what it is hobbs is your new tnt champion i'm happy for hobbs because again i'm real high on hobbs as i am with ricky starks and again it seems like my prediction is right i said for 2023 the person that you should look forward to in aew is powerhouse hobbs so i'm glad that they are putting the rocket to hobbs back and let's see how far they actually go with hobbs as a tnt champion so, congratulations to Powerhouse Hobbs here. And with that, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, off to Impact Wrestling. And first thing to note, next week on Impact, it will be Bullet Clubs, Chris Bay, Ace Austin, and Kenta going against the Impact World Champion Josh Alexander, Kazarian, and Rich Swan in a six-man tag. This match gets set up because of a backstage uh, interview segment that we have with all six men. So, that's how that match happens. Also, next week, Steve Macklin will be going against Heath. Now on to the show. First thing that we'll start off with is Bully Ray coming down to the ring. Bully will talk about what he did to Tommy Dreamer at No Surrender when Bully threw hot coffee on Tommy Dreamer. Bully will then repeat someone like me over and over again, questioning what Tommy meant when he said that. Bully will list off his accolades, being a two-time Hall of Famer, being a multi 
uh, World Tag Team Champion, being the two-time Impact World Champion. Does Tommy mean something like that? Bully would recall a challenge that Tommy threw out to him at No Surrender, a busted open uh, match. Bully would say that Tommy knows that the doctor isn't going to allow him to participate in this match since he got coffee thrown in his face and he got partial uh, skin burns. Then Santino Morello would come out since he is the commissioner for Impact and condemn what Bully did to Tommy. Santino would state that Tommy will be back at Sacrifice and they will have their busted open match there. Then Bupinder Gujir will come out and he was talking his native tongue and he basically throws out a challenge towards Tommy Dreamer. At least that's what Santino translated. So he would make the match official between Bully Ray and Bupinder Gujir happen right now. Bupinder would win the match by disqualification when Gujir would grab Bully Ray's chain and he was thinking of using it, but Bully would hit Bupinder with a little blow. Now, after the match, Bully would grab the chain and hit Bupinder in the back with it until Tommy Dreamer would run down to the ring. Tommy would hit Bully a couple times, then look to hit the Death Valley driver, but Masha Slamovich would run into the ring and hit Tommy with a low blow. Bully would then get off Tommy's shoulders and then look to pile drive Tommy, but Mickey James would run down to the ring with a kendo stick and hit Bully in the back with a kendo stick. Bully wouldn't flinch, and he would just look at Mickey James. You would see Bully try to boot Mickey in the face, but Mickey would dodge the boot, and Mickey would go right after Masha Slamovich. Mickey would attack Masha, but Bully would grab Mickey by the hair and pull her off of Masha. Now, before Bully could do any damage to Mickey, Tommy would grab a chair and make both Masha Slamovich and Bully retreat. So that's the end of this segment here, and again, Bully Ray and uh, Tommy Dreamer, their situation is not done yet, and we still have no idea what the busted open match is. So hopefully they'll give some uh, clarification on what that match is next week on Impact Wrestling. Now off to the next match, it'll be Callahan with the design in his corner going against Rhino, who has Heath in his corner. Rhino would win the match by a pinfall thanks to the design's help. When Callahan would bite Rhino on the forehead and then run off the ropes, Angel would pull on Callahan's leg. The referee wasn't paying attention when this happens, and this would allow Khan to hit Callahan with the chair in the head, and this would allow Rhino to gore Callahan for the win. Now, this would be step six for Callahan's initiation into the design, and this is all it seems. They're still trying to prove to see if Callahan is just trying to weasel his way into the design to tear it down, or does he really want to be in the design? So that was this step six initiation process. Now, the next match was Jordan Grace going against Alex Garcia. Jordan Grace would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Grace driver. This was basically Jordan Grace's warm-up matchup as she's the number one contender, and she's waiting to see who she'll be going against at Sacrifice for the Knockouts Championship. Now, after this, we have Jonathan Gresham going against Kushida. Kushida would win the match by pinfall by locking in the hoverboard lock, and Gresham would tap out. This was a back-and-forth matchup here. Not too many strikes between... Uh, Gresham and Kushida, a whole lot of mat-based wrestling, a whole lot of holds and counters of holds into pinning attempts between both of these guys. So if that's what you're into, this is the match for you. Now after this, we have Killer Kelly coming down to the ring. Kelly would say that she isn't happy with Taylor Wilde's antics of late with voodoo cards and costing them matches. So Killer Kelly would call Taylor Wilde down to the ring. Taylor would come out and tell Kelly this isn't about her. It's about the future and what's meant to be. So Taylor would ask Kelly Kelly to pick a card. Kelly would tell Taylor that she isn't going to pick a card and say that she makes her own destiny. 
So Taylor would pick a card and show it to Kelly, and it's the tower. The meaning of the tower means massive change, destruction, and chaos. This was all a distraction to allow Kylie King to hit Killer Kelly in the back with a chair. Kylie would then pick up Killer Kelly and hit an attitude adjustment. And now we have a new team of Taylor Wilde and Kylie King here. I'm happy to see Kylie King here. She's done a lot of uh, independent work for AEW, like during the pandemic and even whenever they were doing uh, shows to get back in their rotation in 2021 and some in 2022. So I'm happy to see her back on television. And again, Impact Wrestling is another alternative if you want to actually work somewhere. AEW and WWE is just not the only two places. So I'm happy to see her here in Impact. And it will be announced that next week, Taylor Wilde and Kylie King will be going against the Death Dolls for an Impact Knockouts Tag Team Championship matchup. Now, off to the main event for the Impact Knockouts Championship. It'll be Giselle Shaw with Jay Vidal and Savannah Evans in her corner going against Mickey James with Deanna Peraza, who's on commentary. Now, Mickey would win the match by pinfall thanks to Deanna Peraza when Jay Vidal would get on the ring apron and try to distract the referee. Deanna Peraza would run off commentary and yank Vidal off the ring apron. Now, on the opposite side of the ring, you would see Savannah Evans getting inside the ring and the referee has her hands on Savannah Evans and dealing with Savannah. You would see Mickey James looking at Savannah, telling her to get out of the ring. You would then see Giselle Shaw grab Mickey James and roll her up for a pin. Deanna Peraza would get in the ring, reverse it, and now Mickey James is holding Giselle down. So when the referee turns around, the referee makes the one, two, three, and Mickey is still your Impact Knockouts champion. So we have now Mickey going against Jordan Grace, that is official, as sacrifice for the Impact Knockouts championship, and also Deanna Peraza helping Mickey James. That's not something that you would have thought in Impact Wrestling since those two have had a rivalry for some time. But we now see the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So with them both not liking Giselle, it kind of made perfect sense for Deanna to help out Mickey James to retain her knockout championship. So we'll have to see what type of consequences Deanna will have to face against Giselle next week on Impact. But then with that being said, that is your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with them recapping what Jay Uso did on Raw with him rejoining the Bloodline. After the video would play, we would see Paul Heyman waiting in the parking lot as a car pulls in. Is the Usos. The Usos will pop out of the vehicle. Jay will walk up to Paul and ask him where Roman is. And Paul would hug Jay and say that Roman and him are so proud of him. Jay would let Paul know that when he finds Roman, let him know that he's here. Caleb Braxton would then walk up on Jay Uso and ask him why he turned on Sammy. Jay will let her know that everything he has to say, he will say out there in the ring. So expect a Jay Uso promo later in the evening. Now, after this, we get a fatal five-way matchup to see who will face Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania. The competitors in this match were Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Karrion Cross, LA Knight, and Xavier Woods. Xavier Woods was substitute for Kofi Kingston because Kofi got injured last week on SmackDown. Now, there will be a technical two winners in this matchup here because at the end of the match, you will see Sheamus hit Xavier Woods with a bro kick, Drew McIntyre hit LA Knight with a Claymore kick, and Drew and Sheamus would pin their respective guy, and there will be two referees coming in, and they'll make the pinfall for both Sheamus and Drew. Now, after the match, the referees would argue about what they should do about this situation, who is the winner of this, and you will hear the crowd chanting for a triple threat, so they want a triple threat match, 
with Gunther, Drew, and Sheamus. And later in the night, you will see Adam Pearce in his office with Imperium. And Gunther would check Adam Pearce saying, listen, I signed up for a competitor to face me at WrestleMania, not competitors. So what are we going to do about this? And Pierce will let Gunther know that next week, Drew McIntyre will go against Sheamus, and the winner of that match will face him at WrestleMania for the Intercontinental Championship. So Gunther's cool with that, and we have that match set for next week on SmackDown. And me personally, I think we're still going to get that triple threat match the way that people were chanted for it. I think they probably will etch a sketch that now into the whole uh, promo, not promo, but marketing of WrestleMania with Gunther. For the Intercontinental Championship. And personally, Gunther going against Sheamus and Drew. I think that's going to be a good match. That's going to be a hard, heavy match. One of the matches that we're actually missing from WrestleMania. And people might say, well, technically you get uh, Bobby Lashley and Bray. That's not going to be hard-hitting like that. You would think, okay, what about Omos and Brock? Nope. Gunther, Sheamus, and Drew. That's that big, heavy-hitting fight match that we need on WrestleMania. So, I hope they do make it to a triple threat match. How they're going to get it there? Probably double count out next week or have Imperium interfere. Those are just my two options, the way that we can get there. Now, after this, we would get our first inductee into the Hall of Fame class of 2023, and it's Rey Mysterio. So Rey will come out. He'll get a great reception from the crowd. Rey will get in the ring. He will get a mic. But before he even say a word, he'll be interrupted by the Judgment Day. Dominic will lead the charge in disrespecting his own father. He would call Ray washed up and question how many holidays and soccer games Ray missed to make this Hall of Fame career, basically calling Ray Mysterio a deadbeat father. And Don would say that he is ashamed to be Ray's son. Then you would see Legado de Fantasma coming down to the ring. Santos would tell Dominic that Ray might forget what Dom did last week. And what Dom did was rip Ray Mysterio's mask, the same mask that uh, Santos was given by Ray. But Santos isn't. So he will ask for a six-man match with the Judgment Day right now, and we would get it. Ray would be at ringside for the match, and Judgment Day would win the match by pinfall thanks to Ray inadvertently. When Ray was arguing with Rhea Ripley outside of the ring, Dominic would hit Ray Mysterio with a baseball slide kick and knock him down to the ground. You would then see Toro Cruz go and roll up Dominic, and Ray would get to his feet and try to get at Dom, but the referee would stop him. As this is happening, Damian Priest would get in the ring and kick Cruz in the head, and then Dom would roll up Cruz for the win. Now, after the match, Dom would get a mic and say that he would like to have a man-to-man talk with his father, so he would tell the Judgment Day to leave the ring so Ray could come in. And once Ray gets in the ring, Dom will tell Ray that he doesn't understand how they are putting Ray into the Hall of Fame. And Ray knows at the end of the day, Dom should have been Eddie's kid. Now, Dom would drop the mic. Ray would tell Dom that he doesn't mean that, and he would tell Dom to apologize for it. Dom would tell Ray to hit him. But again, as always, in weeks before, Ray still does not hit Dom. Dom would shove Ray, and even this time, throw his gum at Ray. And now you can see Ray getting visibly upset, and you see Dom run over towards Ray, and Ray would just pull the ropes down, sending Dominic out of the ring. And now we're getting closer to Ray at least doing something. Previous weeks, he would never do nothing. He didn't raise a fist. He didn't do nothing. This week, he at least pulled the ropes down so his son could at least blast out of the ring. So we're moving closer into the realm of Ray going against Dom, even though after the situation, Ray would shout out to Dom that I'm never going to fight you. I'm never going to do that in any circumstances because you're my son. But we know it's coming. 
Ray versus Dom, that has to happen at WrestleMania. The crowd is too much into it for them not to do it because the crowd was constantly chanting for Ray to do something to Dom. You have Michael Cole literally being the number one cheerleader for Ray to do something to Dom. So if they miss this boat with them having not having a match at WrestleMania, I don't know what to tell you. They should. And when, again, I'll state this again, when Rey Mysterio finally hits his son, that crowd at WrestleMania is going to lose their mind because that is something that we've all been wanting to see. So hopefully they actually make the match happen. Now, after this, we get Ricochet and Braun Strowman going against the Viking Raiders. The Viking Raiders would win the match by a pinfall when Ivar would move out of the way when Ricochet would go for a 450 splash, then hit Ricochet with a spinning heel kick, then go to the top turnbuckle and jump off and hit a big body splash for the win. Now, next matchup was Charlotte Flair going against Shotzi. Rhea Ripley would be at ringside for this matchup. Charlotte would win the match by submission by locking in the figure eight. Now, after the match, Rhea would get in the ring with Charlotte, and Rhea would state that she's going to win at WrestleMania because she has to. Everybody looks at Charlotte with so much importance, and she's going to take this match that was shape something that actually makes Charlotte important and knock her down the peg. Charlotte would say that she has worked too hard for this. She is the hardest working woman in this company, the hardest working person, man or female in this company, and that she takes this personally. And she lets Rhea know that Rhea's going to have a hard task at WrestleMania because Charlotte plans on retaining her SmackDown Women's Championship here. So again, I like that we're getting that from Charlotte and Rhea. And again, it seems to be they're not putting a lot of energy into this match with Rhea and Charlotte. I know people want to see it. People want to see the crowning moment for Rhea Ripley. That's going to be a nice, feel-good moment if they do pull it off. But I would like for them to actually have more story, give Charlotte and Rhea more time, either in the ring, on the mic, have a backstage segment, something. For these past couple weeks, they haven't been doing much. So hopefully they get to turn it up in these next following weeks because I believe they only got, what, three more weeks until WrestleMania? So they got to start tuning it up some way, somehow. Now off to the main event segment. The Usos will come down to the ring and Jay would explain his actions on Raw. Jay would ask the crowd, what would they have done if they were in his position? Jay would ask, what do you do when your family member's about to lose electricity you'll pay for their electricity bill what happened if they're about to go hungry you'll pay for their food what if their car has no gas you'll take them to where they got to go to you'll do anything for family and that's basically the position that he was in in this situation and he would make the point that you'll do anything for family and that's what he did jay would admit that he didn't want to do that to sammy but he had no other choice because if he didn't he knew that jimmy was going to get taken out by roman Jay would tell the people that they have no idea what's going through his head and that he only blames one person for all of this and it's Sammy. Jay would say that Sammy is selfish and that the only thing he had to do was to fall in line, but he didn't want to do that. So he is selfish. So that's the reason why he did what he did. So that's when Jimmy would say that that takes care of the Sammy problem and now all that's left is the Cody problem. So as he says this, Cody Rhodes would come out. He would come out with a mic. Cody would say that since you're going to talk about me, how about you do it to my face? Cody would say that he doesn't answer to Roman, but he answers to the people. Jimmy would warn Cody not to come down to the ring and take another step because if he does, he'll get taken out like Sammy and he won't make it to WrestleMania. So Cody would start taking off his jacket. Then Sammy would run into the ring and go after Jey Uso. Cody would join in the fight 
and it would go from in the ring to in the crowd, then back to the ring, and in the end, Cody and Sammy would send the Usos out of the ring. So, the end SmackDown, you would see Cody and Sammy standing tall as the Usos are now retreating up the ramp, and that's the end of SmackDown here. So, we got Cody now aligning himself with Sammy as they're both taking on the bloodline, and more than likely, you're going to get Kevin Owens joining them. Some way, somehow, that's the story that we're having here, but we'll just have to wait to see how that goes. Now, I'm not crazy about Roman not being here. It was kind of advertised that he was going to be here on SmackDown, but I don't mind that he wasn't here because Jay was the main topic here for this whole entire week. So, eh, he wasn't here. Fine. Hopefully next week, Roman pops up and we get an answer for the bloodline. We get a whole uh, family unit back together, Pictionary style, but only time will tell. But with that, that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, moving over to AEW Rampage. On Rampage, Mark Briscoe would announce that Ring of Honor needs new tag team champions. And at Supercard of Honor, there will be a Reach for the Sky ladder match. And the first team in the ladder match are the Lucha Brothers. Now, he does not know how many, well, he doesn't announce how many people are going to be in the ladder match. But to have the Lucha Brothers in there, you know it's going to be just a spectacular situation because Ray Phoenix... Hell of a high flyer. Penta, he knows his way around the ladders. He knows how to brutalize somebody with the ladders. So I just can't wait to see who the other tag teams in this Reach for the Sky Ladder match are going to be. Now, off to the first match on Rampage, we have Sammy Guevara going against Action and Dreddy. Sammy would win the match by pinfall thanks to an assist from Daniel Garcia. When Action and Dreddy smashed Sammy Guevara through the timeskeeper table and Andretti threw Sammy back into the ring, Andretti will go to the top turnbuckle, and the referee will look after Sammy. This would allow Dale Garcia to run down to the ring and push Andretti off the turnbuckle, and Andretti will land on the top rope. This would allow Sammy to hit Andretti with a GTH and cover him for the win. So, Jericho Appreciation Society and Action Andretti, their business is not done yet. Now, after this, we have the Acclaimed with Billy Gunn in their corner going against Starboy Charlie and Jake Cartwheel. These are two guys from GCW, an independent promotion. Um, the Acclaim would win the match by pinfall by hitting the arrival that it might drop for the win. After the match, you will see 2.0 of the Jericho Appreciation Society be on the ramp holding a JAS t-shirt. And this is still their way of trying to get the Acclaim to join their group. The Acclaim are denying joining the group. They're not wanting to join the group. So we got to see where that takes them into the future here. Now, after this, we have Kanosuke Takeshita going against Preston Vance with Jose the Assistant in their corner. Takeshita would win the match by pinfall by executing a backslide pin for the win. So Takeshita is now on a, not going to say winning streak, but he has now gotten a win. And we're getting closer to him trying to at least join up with the Elite because Don Callis was on commentary for this match. And Don Callis has been trying to recruit Takeshita to join the Elite. And we're going to see how far that goes with their uh, idea of Takeshita joining the Elite. Now off to the main event. We will have Nyla Rose with Marina Shafir in her corner going against Riho. Riho would win the match by reversing out of the Beast Bomb and getting Nyla into an inside cradle pin for the win. Now after the match, Nyla and Marina Shafir would attack Riho. Nyla would powerbomb Riho. And then they would just leave the ring. Riho still on the ground. Now, Tony Storm's music would hit. You would see Tony Storm, Soraya, and Ruby Soho come walking down to the ring. 
And once they get in the ring, they will spray paint uh, Riho. And the funny thing to me that I thought was curious is that no female uh, good person would come down there to try to save uh, Riho from getting spray painted by Soraya, Tony, or Ruby. There would be no one. So Rampage goes off with the three ladies standing tall as Riho's on the ground. So I just don't understand what was the meaning for that. I understand we want to try to make this three-girl unit the top thing for the women's division. However, you got to have some people to actually be the opposition, and you just can't just dominate them like that. I mean, they had a dominating president on Dynamite. You end up ending Rampage with them. I would at least had at least somebody come down there trying to save her, like they did with Sky Blue, with Willow came down to save Sky Blue on Dynamite. But nobody came out to save Riho here. Hopefully that plays into Riho trying to get at some of the ladies next week on Dynamite for that, but only time will tell. But anywho, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, with that being said, I don't think there's nothing more for me to be saying here, so let me get you guys out of here. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please be careful out there for the people that's on the West Coast. I know it's still cold out there. I know you guys are going to be getting a lot of rain, so please be careful for the people over there in the Northeast. I want you guys to be careful because it's supposed to be snowing right now, if anything, but please be careful as well. I hope you guys are just safe and okay. Now, with that all being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I love you all. I thank you. Please check out my Sunday episode tomorrow. But if you haven't checked out my midweek episode where I talk about Chris Rock's uh, review of his stand-up that happened last Saturday, go ahead and check it out. I think it's a good review. But with that all being said, I love you all. I thank you. And Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.